You know, as, as parents and as people, we fail, don't we? We fail. But there is a big but. God's grace. God's grace is enough for us and is sufficient for us. And God's grace moves us forwards. And that is what I'm speaking about this morning. If you want a title, it is Empowered by Grace. That's the title for this morning. And Hebrews 13 verse 9 says, It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. I love that. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. And that's my prayer for us this morning. Now, to begin with, I'm going to read you a little story. So I hope you're all sitting comfortably. And this story is called The Trial. And I want you to imagine yourself as the person who is on trial in this story. If it helps to close your eyes, then do close your eyes. Okay. After living a decent life, my time on earth came to an end. The first thing I remember is sitting on a bench in the waiting room of what I thought to be a courthouse. The doors open and I was instructed to come in and have a seat by the defence table. As I looked around, I saw the prosecutor. He was a villainous-looking gent who snarled as he stared at me. He definitely was the most evil person I have ever seen. I sat down and looked to my left, and there sat my lawyer, a kind and gentle-looking man whose appearance seemed to be very familiar to me. The corner door flew open, and there appeared the judge in full flowing robes. He commanded an awesome presence as he moved across the room, and I couldn't take my eyes off him. As he took his seat behind the bench, he said, let us begin. The prosecutor rose and said, my name is Satan, and I am here to show why this man belongs in hell. He proceeded to tell of the lies that I told, things that I had stole, and in the past when I cheated others. Satan told of other horrible perversions that were once in my life. And the more he spoke, the further down in my seat I sank. I was so embarrassed that I couldn't look at anyone, even my own lawyer, as the devil told of sins that even I had completely forgotten about. As upset as I was at Satan for telling these things about me, I was equally upset at my representative, who sat there silently, not offering any form of defence at all. I know I had been guilty of those things, but I had done some good stuff in my life too. Couldn't that at least equal out part of the harm I'd done? Satan finished with a fury and said, This man belongs in hell. He is guilty of all that I have charged, and there is not a person who can prove otherwise. When it was his turn, my lawyer asked if he might approach the bench. The judge allowed this over the strong objection of Satan and beckoned him to come forward. As he got up and started walking, I was able to see him now in his full splendor and majesty. Now I realized why he seemed so familiar. This was Jesus representing me, my Lord and my Saviour. He stopped at the bench and said softly to the judge, Hi, Dad. And then he turned to address the court. Satan was correct in saying that this man had sinned. I won't deny any of these allegations. And yes, the wage of sin is death. And this man deserves to be punished. Jesus took a deep breath and turned to his father with outstretched arms and proclaimed, However, 
I died on the cross so that this person might have eternal life. And he has accepted me as his saviour, so he is mine. My Lord continued with, his name is written in the book of life and no one can snatch him from me. Satan still does not understand yet. This man is not to be given justice, but rather mercy. As Jesus sat down, he quietly paused, looked at his father and replied, there is nothing else that needs to be done. I've done it all. The judge lifted his mighty hand and slammed the gavel down and the following words bellowed from his lips. This man is free. The penalty from him for him has already been paid in full case dismissed. As my Lord led me away, I could hear Satan ranting and raving. I won't give up. I'll win the next one. I asked Jesus as he gave me my instructions on where to go next. Have you ever lost a case? Christ lovingly smiled and said, everyone that's come to me and asked me to represent them has received the same verdict as you, paid in full. Wow, what a story. I want to use this story as a starting point for talking about grace. Now, if the man that was on trial in the story had received um, punishment for all the sins that Satan had put before the judge, then... Um, that would have been justice, okay? Receiving the punishment for sin is justice. But instead, he received mercy in that he didn't get the punishment that he deserved. That's mercy. But he also received grace because he got what he didn't deserve. He got salvation, he got freedom, and he got eternal life. And he didn't receive this grace because of anything that he had done but it was everything to do with what Jesus had done on the cross. Ephesians 2.8 says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So God's grace is a gift to us. And that's a key verse because God's grace can only be received by us through faith, through our belief in him. If we don't know who the grace is coming from, if we don't understand why, then we can't be recipients of that grace in our life. It's when we understand and we accept what our good father did in sending his son to die for us, to to rescue us, to save us, that we can receive the grace of God in our lives, which is his loving kindness that leads us to a place of repentance and, and fullness of life in him. Now, the Greek word for grace used in the New Testament is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. I've spoken about grace before. But it means God's unmerited favour. It means kindness from God that we don't deserve. And um, I've been looking up what a few other people say about grace. I'm not going to tell you who who they all are because I'd be here for ages. But this is what other people have said that they, they think grace is. And you will probably have your own definition as well. So God's grace is God's empowering presence. God's grace is the empowerment to do his will. God's grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, um, the peace of God given to the restless and the unmerited favour of God. God's grace is free, sovereign favour to the ill-deserving. God's grace is love that cares and rescues and stoops down. God's grace is him reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. God's grace is his unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. God's grace is mercy, not merit. 
And God's grace flows out of his love for us. He has known each one of us and he has loved each one of us since the beginning of time. But if he hadn't sent Jesus to rescue us, would we have known that with sin as a separation? Would we have known that without Jesus coming? I don't think we would because it was an expression of his love for his children. His love demonstrated is his grace to us. Now I want you to think back to the parable of the prodigal son. And I know I did a whole talk on this about the extravagant father. But um, this is found in Luke chapter 15, if you don't know where it is. And I just want to remind you, there's a, a son, the youngest son. He asks for his inheritance from his father. He goes away and he squanders this inheritance on a life that he thinks will fulfill him and bring him happiness. And the money runs out. And his only option is to come home to his father, who's still alive. And instead of the father rebuking and punishing his son, what does he do? He runs to his son. He embraces his son. He puts on a massive party to welcome his son home. That's grace. That is grace right there. And when the father's oldest son kicks up a fuss about how the father has received the youngest son back, the father doesn't rebuke him either. He tells the son that everything I have is yours. It always has been. That is grace. The father isn't being a soft touch. But he's speaking to their identity as his sons because of who he is to change their beliefs about who they are rather than bringing judgment down on them. That's what grace is all about. And this is how God is with his children. Now, if you were living in Old Testament times, you would be living by the law, the law given to Moses. And no one actually could measure up to that law because no one was perfect. And that doesn't really seem fair, does it? But the law meant people that had to, people had to perform. They had to measure up to this standard. And if they fell short of it, boy, would they know about it. And there had to be a punishment. There had to be um, a sacrifice of blood to atone for their sins so that they could be forgiven and stand righteous again, once again before God. But do you know that the law was actually introduced by God to highlight the fact that the world needed a saviour. That's why the law came into being. Because not one person could measure up until Jesus. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord, but Jesus came to earth as a fulfilment of the law. He came as grace to us. He instead became the blood sacrifice once and for all so that we could become righteous in him because of his death on the cross. And nothing that, it's not about anything that we have done. And that's how come, because it's not about what we have done, that's how come every single one of God's children, whether they know him yet or not, can come into relationship with him and receive his grace. Thank you, Father. The grace of God's is so empowering for us as Christians. This is a reality of heaven that if we grasp it, wow, we can be so powerful. And it's not only grace received at the point of our salvation, but it's grace that we live in day by day as we're in relationship with the Father, doing his will. And I want to look at, it was going to be 10 things, but it's actually turned out into 11 things, but about what grace means for us as God's children. 
And not only us as God's children, but those people in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces that don't know him yet. What does it mean for them as well? So I want you to listen with ears for yourself, but ears also for people who don't yet know God. So what does grace mean mean for us? Number one, it finds us at our lowest point and it elevates us to new heights in Christ. Think of Moses who had a foul temper that led to murder and rebellion. Think of David who committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband. Think of Peter who denied Jesus as his friend and that he was a follower of Jesus. And Saul who was the worst prosecutor of Christians in his day. Romans 3, 23, 24 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins, just like in the story I read at the beginning. For each of these things, I've got a verse. And it's not just a verse to back up what I've written, but what I've written is from the word. And I want you to know the truth of the word. So please do make a note of these scriptures as well. Okay, number two. God's grace means that we realize that we're nothing without Jesus, but we are everything in him. We are everything when we find life in him and we can be all that he's purposed for us to be. The apostle Paul says of himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me, that was with me. Number three, God's grace means that we are adopted into his family. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. And we are rightful heirs to the throne. Ephesians 1.5 tells us that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. Number four, are you with me? I'm just rattling through these. Number four, God's grace means that we have free and full access to all of heaven. Just let that sink in. We have free and full access to all of heaven. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 to 20, it tells us that we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. There's nothing that separates us. Nothing that separates us. Okay, number five. God's grace means that we can have a real and intimate relationship with our good father and that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. You'll know it well probably. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. You know, the enemy, the devil wants to tell us 
all the things that separate us from God. He wants to whisper that in our ears. All the stuff that is laid out before us that we've done. All the sin. All the, you know, when we've turned away from God. But I want to tell you this morning what the Bible says. The truth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay, number six. God's grace means that every day is a new day full of fresh mercies. As it says in Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, if there's one thing to thank God about in the morning when you wake up, it's to thank him that today is a new day full of fresh new mercy. It doesn't matter what happened the day before. You know, we can come to God with a clean slate. We can repent for what we did yesterday, even if it was a minute ago, and we've got a fresh clean slate with him. And and we can just, we, we're able to fly then because there's nothing hindering us. There's no baggage. We can take off our baggage. Thank you, God. Number seven, God's grace means that we live in the forgiveness of God so that we can have a short account with him repenting as and when we sin and moving forwards knowing that we stand in the righteousness of Christ Christ isn't just the righteous one we stand in his righteousness wow sometimes I think we have to change where we are standing because the enemy doesn't want us to stand in the righteousness of Christ and we've got to maneuver ourselves with by God's grace into Christ's righteousness okay where am I? Number eight, God's grace means that we are empowered to be the best version of ourselves in this life, in life on earth, until Jesus comes again and we're perfect like him. We are made perfect. We are empowered. I want to say it again. We're empowered to be the best version of ourselves that we can be on earth. Thank you, Lord. That is amazing. That's so empowering. 1 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, number nine, God's grace means that we are empowered to extend grace to everyone we encounter. We're empowered to extend grace to everyone we encounter. You know, we might not think that that applies to us because we know ourselves pretty well, don't we? We know who presses our buttons and how we react to certain things and who winds us up something chronic, who makes us miserable. You know, we we know, don't we? We know ourselves. But God can empower us to be who he has made us to be in this life because of his glory and his goodness in us. Wow. And then we can extend grace to to everyone that we encounter. That's what Jesus did. He extended grace to everyone he encountered. So it means that we respond or we can respond to people instead of react emotively. I hold my hand up. I react emotively to situations, to people. You know, I'm learning. I want to be somebody who can respond in love and in grace to people. Because God's grace is inclusive. It's not exclusive. God's grace requires us to think differently and to act differently because of the grace that we have received. Titus 2, 11 
says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. If people don't receive God's grace through us, they don't know that they have a gracious Father, a gracious God. They think he's a God with a big stick standing over them going, Why did you do that? Don't do that. You know, that the Bible is a list of rules and things that you can never measure up to. But actually God's grace is his open hand and his open arms to embrace, isn't it? Just like the good father in the parable of the lost son. Okay, number 10 means, God's grace means that we are empowered to deal with the challenging situations that come against us in life. And it's by faith in God at work in us and through us and in what is happening. It's grace by faith. Titus 2 verse 12 says that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. I don't think any of us in the room would say that it's easy to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live a self-controlled life and upright and godly lives in this present age all the time. You know, can anybody put their hand up and say, yep, that's me all the time. You know, yes, that is what we are. I won't use the word striving because it's not about striving. That is what we are working with God towards, isn't it? But it is a challenge in life. But he has given I read earlier, he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. So we do it in him. We don't do it through our own strength. And if we keep close to God, he helps us in those situations and the Holy Spirit empowers us. Um, Okay, number 11. This was the add-on. There you go. So you've got a little add-on today. Um, God's grace means that we're empowered to use the gifts and the strengths that he has given us to do his will. And that in in our weaknesses, because we all have weaknesses, he is strong. He shows himself strong. And Romans 12, 6 to 8 says, in his grace, God has given us all different gifts for doing certain things well. Okay? God has given you a gift or several gifts or more than several gifts to do things well. And you know what those things are. And I believe that God will show you more and more what you are good at and what he wants you to go for that you do well. But also, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10 says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So we have strengths and we have weaknesses. And sometimes our strengths can become our weaknesses as well. But when we are in submission to God and to his will, that is when his power is, is with us and his power works in our weakness. Remember Paul saying, It's not anything that I am about, Apostle Paul, but it's God's grace in me and with me. I want to give you just one thing on the other side of what grace doesn't mean. Because we can think, oh, grace, yeah, you know, I can do whatever I want because, you know, I can always come back to God and say sorry. But grace doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want, that we can be just like the world because we can sin left, right and center and and then come back and say sorry to God when we feel like it. God's grace actually calls us to a higher realm of living a higher realm of living with God. And it's by his grace that we are empowered to live that way. God is calling us higher in our walk with him. He is calling us to be radical. I really believe in these days that we have got to throw off everything that hinders us. We have got to cut ties with with being like the world. We have got to cut ties because we are never going to be anything different if we don't do that. And God empowers us to live that way. He's given us everything we need. In this house, we 
are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.